Welcome to an Impact Ministries production, brought to you by Impact Ministries World Changers, changing the way the world sees God. Learn how you can become a world changer today by visiting www.impactministries.com. Now, here's your host, founder of Impact Ministries and developer of Heart Physics, the self-development programs that have changed thousands of lives around the world, Dr. Jim Richards. Hey, I'm Jim Richards. I want to welcome you to another installment here of a, a living life at its best. You know, that is the deal. The thing that changes your world more than anything is when you get to experience how incredibly good God is. Now, you know, we've been talking about this, and actually we named this series uh, Generational Curses. Is God really fair? And we talked about the whole concept of generational curses back in the beginning of this. And, and, and actually, I'm going to close with this in a way that I, I think is going to open your eyes to what's going on in the world, how things are happening in the world, why things are happening in the world. But, you know, one of the most important reasons, most important reasons I address this whole thing of generational curses, number one, it is a predominant doctrinal uh, belief, position, whatever you want to call it, throughout the charismatic, Pentecostal, word of faith, whatever, you know, aspect of, of believers. And it is just blatantly, uh, doctrinally, not only incorrect, but it actually presents the exact opposite of what God himself said from the very beginning. So, and so, you know, if we didn't deal with this thing about generational curses right off the bat, then I don't think we would have had any kind of basis to get into the whole concept of how fair or just God is. Now, remember, the Bible presents this concept that really uh, the whole problem with the whole world is ultimate, and the, and the wickedness in the world and the destruction that comes in the world is iniquity. And uh, I don't know about you, but, you know, a lot of my early Christian life, I just thought iniquity was just one of the, maybe just one of the really bad words for sin in general, or just, you know, one of many words for sin in general. But what you find out is that, you know, it has a very specific meaning. And iniquity is probably the most destructive of all sins that a person can get into. You know, uh, in, in marriage counseling, one of the things that you, that you realize is this. When the, you know, when the Bible talks about not being unequally yoked, by the way, which that's not just talking about marriage. That's talking about business. That's talking about who you hang out with. That's talking about uh, the whole uh, array of, uh, of human relationships. And really, being unequally yoked is not really just because you're involved with unbelievers. There's a lot of unbelievers that honestly, uh, their general life view, their general life paradigm is actually more biblical than a lot of my Christian friends. So, but uh, in that concept, you start to think about being unequally out. You see, if two people share common values, and that's what, you know, fellowship or being yoked comes down to being connected to somebody around something that you share. What are the values that you share? You know, when Jesus said, take my yoke upon you, and if you'll, he said, if you'll take my yoke, which is, which is his doctrine of God, how he interprets the scripture, how he interprets the character and the nature of God, he said, if you take that yoke 
and then learn of me because you can only learn of God through the Lord Jesus. You, 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 you can't do what millions of people have done for thousands of years, which is to try to know God through their intellect, try to know God just through the, you know, interpreting Scripture, which that's a good, great starting place. But you've you got to know him by looking at the life of Jesus because the life of Jesus becomes the uh, focal point or the interpretation base of Scripture. So what, you know, here's what I share in common with God, Jesus. God sent Jesus into the world to represent him. I look at Jesus to understand who God is. That is, that is a basis of my fellowship with, with God. And so um, uh, when we're dealing with other people, one of the things we're looking at is, do we share common values? Or, or what do we share in common? Now, if you get two business people, and uh, man, I've seen this happen. I've done counseling in this situation where the values of one business person, and maybe they're both Christians, but the values of one is, is really a little more ethical than the values of the other person, then, then that, when, when, they, when they start having conflict, how are they going to solve their problem? Well, unless Jesus is Lord, and unless both people say, well, here, let's look at the Scripture, and let's see if we can understand from what Jesus taught how we can resolve this problem, then other than that, it just becomes a war of opinions. Well, that's the same way it is in marriage. You know, man, I tell you what, I have seen so many Christian marriages uh, go down in flames because people just thought that, well, I'm a Christian, they're a Christian, everything should be all right. Well, no, not, not necessarily. Because if Jesus is Lord of both people, and if, and if we get our understanding of the character and the nature of God through the life, the teaching, the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, then if that's our basis for understanding who God is, then, then when we have a marital conflict, we have a place to go that's bigger than our opinion. And it's really not about me winning over you or you winning over me. It's about us both winning because we can go to the scripture and say, you know, you know first of all, Jesus said walk in love. And, and then, then, then we start looking at how Jesus said a husband and wife should treat each other. And, and uh, man, suddenly it's like we have a source kind of outside of ourselves, so to speak, that we can come to because we share in common Jesus as Lord. We share in common the Word of God as Jesus interpreted it. So, so we always have a basis to, to solve problems. Well, <clears throat> when there is iniquity, that means an individual either rejects, you know, twists, perverts in some way, redefines the Word of God to their own liking rather than to how Jesus taught it. And so, and so the problem then with iniquity, people can talk the Bible and people can, you know, you know people can uh, come up with all kinds of things that they can justify because of their personal interpretation of the Bible, which and your interpretation always uh, equals application. Well, you know, the Bible says in Isaiah 30, 18, it says, it says that the Lord is a God of justice. Now, justice, as much as anything, could probably be understood by saying, okay, what is fair? Well, if, you know, if, if we don't have a basis for justice, 
then as we've learned in this series, as you'll learn moving forward, if we don't have a basis for justice, then the Bible says that, that when justice is removed, uh, and you could, you could say from a city, from a nation, from a business or whatever, uh, that it literally destroys the foundations. And I, and I know you've got to be thinking, well, well, what foundations are you talking about? Well, well you know, we're talking about the, the, you know, the foundations of life, the foundations of the Word of God, the foundations of civilization. Because I'm telling you, justice is the foundation of civilization. So, so God is just, and we are living in a world right now that is spinning out of control for or because of the absence of justice. And, and uh, so the people that are trying to bring the world back into control are, in fact, the very people that set the world on fire. In other words, and this is, this is very common, um, you know, Luciferian philosophy. And Luciferian philosophy, I could go through a list of organizations, religious organizations, political organizations, uh, secret organizations, governmental organizations that actually, some of them very openly embrace uh, Luciferian philosophy. Many of them participate in it very ignorantly and don't know it's a Luciferian philosophy. But, you know, one of the concepts of Luciferian philosophy is, is to cr you create the problem and then, and then you come in and um, start talking about the problem and you start blaming people for the problem and then you offer a solution, but your solution really has nothing to do with your problem. The solution that you offer tends to be a way to seize power, take away freedom and that sort of thing from people. And, you know, that happens in marriages, that happens in churches, that happens in businesses, that happens in, in government agencies, that happens in, in every country in the world to some degree. And it happens by all parties involved at, at any given time. This is not something that just one party does or another party does. And, um, and so... And so we are in, like in our country right now, we are in a situation where uh, a problem is created. Now, here, here's one of the problems. People are so party-oriented. People are so, so connected to, uh, actually, uh, it's a work of the flesh that the Bible calls a party spirit in, in one translation. And a party spirit, we're not talking about people who are going out and just having a party all the time. We're talking about people who are more committed to a particular party philosophy. They're more particular, uh, more particular guideline. And you can read the, you know, the works of the flesh there in the book of Galatians. And, uh, and so the party spirit says, you know, I go along with my party. That can be a denomination, that can be your family, that can be your country, that can be, you know, the philosophy of your gang. In other words, there's some group that you just go along with just because uh, you carry their banner and, and, uh, and, and really you reject the word of God. So a party spirit, a party spirit can be thought of as groupthink because in groupthink, we're all going to agree to think alike. We're all going to accept the same philosophies and we're all going to go out here and say and do the same thing regardless of, of facts or whatever. So anyhow, it's really hard to talk about people who need to hear these kinds of things because they're so biased by a party spirit. But now you got to remember something. The truth that has the most potential to set you free uh, always has the most potential to offend you. 
And so when something offends you that someone else says, uh, you know, our first response tends to be, I'm going to, I'm going to, I'm going to criticize that person that's saying, I'm going to find fault with them because if I can just beat them down, if I can just destroy them, if I can diminish them in my mind and in my thinking and in the thinking of other people, then, then I don't have to consider their statement to be true. But you know, the first question we need to ask when something highly offends us is, what am I afraid of here? And usually, you know what we're afraid of? Usually we're afraid that that other person is right. So, so I know that there's really no way to say some of the things that I need to say that some of you aren't going to just jump to a, a conclusion that is just absolutely uh, unreal. You know, I, you know, I remember one time I, pay, uh, I posted some things in my Facebook, on my Facebook page. This was years ago. And it was some things about history. And it was very factual things about history. Well, the reason I posted those things is because day after day after day, I was seeing people post, you know, and you don't know, you don't know if people are regurgitating information that just kind of, you know, they learned somewhere and they never checked out the facts. You don't know if they're regurgitating that information because they heard somebody say something and they said, yeah, yeah, yeah. That gives me a fuel to, to smear somebody else and to put somebody else down. I mean, you, you don't know why people put out unfactual statements. Are they just liars and manipulators? You know, it, it could be anywhere in between. I never know why somebody puts out historical information that, that can be found anywhere, uh, anywhere in any good history book or anywhere on the Internet. You can do a little bit of research and you can find, oh, none of this right here is true. And so, you know, there were some people just making some really, really incorrect, hateful statements. And I said, well, you know, here's what history reveals. Oh, man, alive, man, I am telling you, people went crazy. I got hundreds of people attacking me, and they obviously never even read to the end of it because if they'd read to the end of it, they would have discovered I am not talking about any one particular political group. I'm not talking about any one uh, political party. I'm, I'm just showing you something here historically that happened. And so, you know, that, that may be the way you run it. But, but, but stop, and, stop and think about it. We've got to decide if man is more just than God. Now, we, we, we've talked about this already, that God acknowledges, you know, when he says in, in, um, in Exodus 34, when he talks about um, the, the iniquity of the parents visiting the, the, the children, the 34th generation of children, Again, he's not visiting that. He's not putting a curse on people. There's not a, a, a spiritual curse floating, you know, down each generation. But iniquity is something that is learned because iniquity is a way of life. Iniquity is when a person rejects the Word of God. They twist the Word of God to what they want it to say. They replace the Word of God with something else. But basically... It, it, it means that that person has no standard in their life that they can come back to and says, this is where I will determine right and wrong, good and evil. This is where I will understand God. This is where I will understand life. This is where I'll understand myself and my, and my own problems. And so then the next question is, is if I believe that God is good and, I, and God is only good. And this was so interesting. See, God is, 
he's there with Moses. Man, they just came out of Egypt, the ultimate of paganism. And they had been exposed, you know, for hundreds of years to pagan gods and to and to unsufferable domination. And, and, and they started out uh, with one of the pharaohs that, that, that they had favor with because of Joseph and ultimately over time became slaves and, uh, and, or, or forced labor. However you'd want to use it, it was still slavery. And so, and so this is all they had known for hundreds of years, for generation after generation after generation was slavery, pagan gods, and really it gave the idea that the pagan gods were really the true gods because uh, uh, if, if they went into captivity, then obviously the pagan gods were greater than their gods. And that's the way most people even still think to some degree, is that, is that might is right. Who, if I can kill you, my God is greater than your God. So, here, man, here they are, and they finally, you know, they, they get delivered from, from uh, Egypt. And, and God is trying to baptize them in the truth. He's trying to baptize them into a new understanding of what, of what justice really is. And, uh, uh, and, you know, I can't go in, in these programs, well, I'm, I'm going to go as far as I can go with the time that we have, but I just want you to understand, you know, we're just touching on the tip of the iceberg. That's why I hope if you're really interested in discovering more about the justice of God, if you're really, if, if you personally, or if you're ministering to people who are struggling with whether or not God is fair, I just want you to understand, if, if a person doesn't believe God is fair, number one, they'll never trust God. Number two, if you don't believe God is fair, then more than likely you have been indoctrinated by religion or by Luciferianism, one, one or the other, or some, you know, some version of both. Because once you understand what God is, is saying, and, and particularly once Jesus becomes the focal point for interpreting what God is saying, uh, man, I'll tell you what, you, you just get incredibly overwhelmed at, at who God is and, and how good God really is. So, so God has, has brought the children of Israel out. Now, keep in mind, they had seen sacrifices. So they, they had the concept of sacrifices down, but, but God's sacrifices were not based on the same motive as the pagan sacrifices. You know, the whole concept of pagan sacrifices is, first of all, you've got to appease an angry God. God was not an angry God. Uh, the second thing was, you do these sacrifices so that the angry God will get happy with you, and he'll, you, know, he will, he, you can get him to come to you and bring favor. And so basically, you're paying off the angry God, and the degree of sacrifice that you make or that you give uh, determines how much of the acceptance and favor you get from these angry gods. And so this is part of why human sacrifice became something. Because if you were willing to, to sacrifice one of your own children, man, you know, that could buy you favor for maybe a whole year or maybe uh, a couple of months or something. But, but it had to get you something because it was such incredible. So God said, now, I'm going to be instituting sacrifices, but not for that reason. Because I'm always there. You know, I, I've already said, I won't leave you. I won't forsake you. I'll, I'll always be there. He, he's like, I've already said that my forgiveness, I am just a forgiver. He's already said, I'm, I'm always forgiving. I'm always ready to, to reconnect with you. And so, so, you know, with the sacrifices, it's like, I've got to get you to see that the reason I have sacrifices is, so that, is not so that I will draw near to you. It's so that it will influence your heart 
and you'll be able to draw near to me. You'll be able to deal with issues in your heart. You know, I got to tell you, and, and most of you all know, you know, the focal point of my ministry, you know, other than the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, uh, which is God's part of it, on our part of it, it is what we do in our heart, what we believe in our heart, how we influence our heart. And I'm telling you, the heart has been taken out of the equation for thousands of years, and that's why, by and large, we have an impotent church. That's why, that's why Israel became impotent as a nation. That's why they went into captivity. That's why they turned everything about God into legalism, is because the heart was left out of it. The whole personal connection with God, the whole believing in your heart that, that not only is God's word true, but he loves you and he's good and everything that he said is for, is for your goodness. So God is, God is saying, you know, I'm, I'm trying to teach you how to influence your heart. But in, in your mind, you're still thinking that this is based on the, re, the same reason the pagans did it. And, you know, it's that way in the church world today. You know, so much of what's taught in the church world today, some of it is very directly paganism. Some of it just has the influence of paganism in it. But very, very little of it is really based on what God said his reasons were, what God said his motives were. And so the children of Israel there at Mount Sinai, they're getting ready to learn about the sacrifices which are intended to be tools that you use to influence your own heart, not tools you use to get God to do something for you. Then the second thing is uh, uh, Moses is getting ready to give the children of Israel the Ten Commandments. Now, the Ten Commandments, eight of which were about how to relate to one another, and only two had to do with relating to God. So 80% of what God was saying was teaching people how to walk in love one toward another. Now, when Israel became a nation and needed to have civil order, there were 516 commandments, but every one of those commandments fits into a category of one of the 10. So, so they don't go beyond the 10. They don't, uh, uh, you know, they deal with specific issues that would, you would have in civil law and, 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 in a, and in a nation trying to rule itself. But they all have their root in the Ten Commandments. And so God's getting ready to tell people ten things that if they will do this, they'll, man, they'll have great relationships. They'll, have, they'll be walking in love toward another. They will not be hurting each other. And, and they'll have the favor of God even with the wicked communities that are around them. And people will see the wisdom of their ways. They'll see the goodness of God in them and in the way they treat each other. And, and, and people will reverence them. And, and they'll be safe because, because people will recognize, you know, Know who their God is. They'll recognize the character and nature of their God. And so it's like, man, okay, I'm, I'm getting ready to introduce you to the sacrifices to show you how to influence your heart. Now, let me say something. To this day, Christians don't know how to influence their heart. Therefore, when things go wrong, when they get out of touch with God, when they're trying to find their way, uh, you know, the, the, it's just... It's just hit and miss. It's just, I'm going to shut my eyes and, and call it faith and, and run forward as fast as I can. And, uh, and too often it doesn't go right. And it's like, I trusted God. And he didn't, it didn't work out. And so God's a problem. God's not a good God. He's not a just God. So, so it's, like, it's like, I'm going to show you how to influence your heart. And I'm going to show you the 10 prescriptions. That's what these really were. I'm going to give you 10 prescriptions if I have an incredible life. So right in the middle of all of that, 
Moses and God meet on the mountain. And Moses is so frustrated with the people. And he's like, God, I got, man, show me your glory. You know, you know show me. Because, I mean, he's, he's thinking maybe your glory is going to be this manifestation of your power where we wipe all these people out. And all the, you know, who knows what he thought. I, I know he thought it was going to be something uh, ultra macho because that's what any of the other pagan gods would have done. And so instead, God said, well, he didn't. Actually, it's not instead. Instead of, instead of Moses seeing what he expected as the glory of God, God showed him his true glory, the true greatness of God, which was his goodness. And man, I'm telling you, it, it, was, it was so overwhelming. Like we talked about before, Moses literally began to glow in the dark. He began to shine because he had a transformation experience. But then God does something real interesting. He says, now listen, I, I'm gonna, now I'm going to declare my goodness to you. And so when God gets ready to, to declare his goodness, it's so interesting because he says twice, he says, you know, he says, you know, I am Jehovah, I am Jehovah El. And so what he's doing is two times he uses more of his mothering aspect. Jehovah always represents the mothering, the nurturing, the feminine aspect of who God is. And, and, and then the Elohim always represents more of the masculine, fatherly aspect. And so, and so God is always this combination of bringing the fatherly aspect, and, but also bringing the motherly aspect, you know, uh, uh, guiding you and teaching you things, but comforting you and, 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 you know, the things that mothers and fathers both do. And so it's really interesting that God said, now, now in order to understand, I'm getting ready to teach you the 10 prescriptions for a great life, and I'm getting ready to teach you the sacrifices so that no matter what condition your heart is in, you can, you can draw near to me and know that I'll be there. You can draw near to me and know what to expect. You, you can always know that I'm ready there. For you. So he says, so I want to explain my goodness to you. Now you've experienced it because, you know, if you experience the goodness of God, but then you don't take God's truth and, and God's explanation and definition of his goodness, and you could just run off into all kinds of liberalism, all kinds of goofiness, goofiness, uh, or you could run into all kinds of legalism or something. Who, who knows? But God said, now you've experienced it. Now I want you to understand how this functions in real life. And more than anything, my, my, my goodness functions from these mothering aspects of, of being compassionate, of being kind, of being slow to wrath. You know, and he goes through all of these incredible things to define this because when Moses comes down, God needs for Moses to present the 10 prescriptions that we call the 10 commandments. And he needs for Moses to present all of the sacrifices in a way that are all in harmony with, with God's goodness. And one of the things that God says about his goodness is that he is just. Now, listen, Next week, and we've, you know, I've decided to extend this a little bit. Next week, we're going to talk about the ultimate justice of God. I'm telling you, it's not going to be what you think. It's going to blow your mind. It's, it's going to challenge you more than anything, but it's going to challenge you to either shut down and bury your head in the sand, or it's going to challenge you to go, oh, man, I can have a great life. I can, you know, now I understand the justice of God.
So, you know what? Hang in there. Listen, if this, if this message is blessing you, be sure and, uh, and comment and share things. I tell you, people love to hear you share and, and what you've got to say. Also, if you'd like, if you're watching this on YouTube and you'd like this page, uh, more and more people will, will see this. And you're bound to be able to think of somebody that you, that you think, man, I, I know so-and-so would be blessed. Well, well, send them a link to this. Share, share this page. Uh, because uh, sharing this page expands this message to other people. And, and I tell you what, you cannot believe how many believers are desperately struggling because they're not sure that God's really fair, that God's really just, because the whole world today is presenting a version of justice that is totally contradictory to the Word of God, and Christians are eating it up because they don't know what true justice is. So be sure, hang there with me. Listen, I'll see you again next week. Next week is going to set your head on fire in the best kind of way. Can't wait to talk to you then. Thanks for listening to the weekly Impact Ministries World Changers podcast with Dr. Jim Richards. If you like what you've just heard, we encourage you to share our web address, www.impactministries.com with friends and colleagues. Be sure to check out the resources section of our website for previous podcasts and our videos. Join us next week for another great message by Dr. Jim Richards.